giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Lindsay Christensen, and with me today is Kate Brigham, Vice President of Product, Design, and Research at EasyCater. Kate, thanks for joining. Thrilled to be here. So I'd love to know, what are you working on right now? So I have been in this role for not quite four weeks, so it's still a somewhat fresh. But a lot of what I'm doing is taking some of the things that I did on the design and research side when I was head of that team and bringing it over to the product team. And more specifically, when I came into the design team, we were about half the size we are now. And so a big part of what I did was really grow the team and create a structure that would allow us to effectively onboard new people, to hire some more junior folks, to put a good management layer in place so we could grow quickly and effectively. That worked really well. And so the product side needed the same kind of uh, sort of effort and thought to really help sort of scale the team and uh, think about how to structure the team effectively to meet both the needs of the business, to create good growth paths for the people there, to create a good management layer and structure. Um, So a big part of what I'm doing is org design work right now. That is certainly a near-term thing. I think once that structure gets put in place, then we can just continue to grow and focus more on building great product. Or at least I will focus more on sort of building great product after we've got that that good team and that good structure in place. Cool. So can you tell me a little bit about how big the company is, what Mm -hmm. the stage is, and then especially like these groups uh, within the organization that you're touching directly, mm-hmm. how is that organized and, and how is that changing? Because I think, you know, it's something that's different company to company. Yeah, it's fascinating. Actually, one of the things that um, I've done with other folks is to try to look at how other companies are structured. And there are certainly similarities, but I think each company figures out their own special flavor of what works in that organization. And EasyCater prides itself on really thinking about what's the right structure for us and the team we have and the work we're doing. So it's custom fit in many ways. But as far as the size of EasyCater, I definitely will get the number wrong. I think we're somewhere in the six to 700 people neighborhood, but we have a really significant customer service part of the organization and that is really large. Actually, I think you guys talked to Stefania Mallet, who's our CEO, maybe a month or so ago. So yeah, she might she have was had on. better numbers than I would cite. The product and product engineering org specifically though, We've got about to have eight product designers, four researchers, uh, so about kind of 12 people on that side of the house. On the product management side, sort of 10 will soon have about 12. So say we're maybe a 25-person product design and research org with Briscoe, who's one of the founders and chief product officer, overseeing all of us. And then the product engineering team is probably about two or three X the size of the product org. And then we've also got IT and sort of additional technical folks. So the engineering team is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 60 to 75 people. So there's product design and research is one group. And then Mm -hmm. the product engineering is a separate group. Mm -hmm. And I guess if folks did happen to miss Stefania's episode, could you give us the overview of what EasyCater does? Yeah. So I think what's interesting about EasyCater is they started out as a marketplace for business catering. 
I know when I was looking at Easy Cater, I was like, what the heck is business catering? Like, what does that mean? I came out of healthcare. We were sort of saving lives and business catering sounded a little confusing to me. Maybe I'll say it that way. But I think what's interesting is it's really about helping people eat at work. So it's bringing food into work is a big part of what Easy Cater does. We started out with a consumer-facing marketplace, so people who needed to get food at work could order through the marketplace. We're starting to expand into creating SaaS products, too. So we've got catering partners on one side of our marketplace. We're building tools to help them run and manage their business. And then, as I mentioned, we've got a really significant customer service org, so we also build tools that help our customer service folks help both our customers and our catering partners resolve any problems that come up in the ordering, delivery, getting food into work process. So you mentioned that this role is a new one for mm-hmm. you. Congratulations. Thank you. And what were you doing before that? So I was heading up the design and research team. So that had been my background. That's a job I'd had uh, a couple of times um, once at Easy Cater. And prior to that, I was heading up the design and research function at Patients Like Me. So this is kind of the, the next generation evolution of that work. What's the design and research team doing on a day-to-day basis? So as I mentioned, we've got sort of three different product areas that we're working on. So my team is really arrayed across those three different product focuses. The product team also does work on sort of analytics and backend bits. So there's part that the product team does that's a little bit different from the design and research folks. But the way we're organized is basically around the Spotify squad model uh, sort of approach. And then we've got tribes essentially that are really around our different products that we're working on. So there's a group that's focused on our consumer facing product, which is the Easy Cater Marketplace, our most mature product. Then we've got a group that's focused on building tools for catering partners, which is still a little bit greenfield and kind of fun because we're figuring out what are the right things to build to meet their needs. And then on the customer service side, actually, some of the tools were initially built by Briscoe, one of the co-founders. So it's kind of fascinating that his fingerprints are still on some of that code, but starting to build a new set of tools to really sort of help manage communications across a bunch of different mediums for them that also plugs into some of the other tools. So they're working across all of those three spaces. On the marketplace side, it's thinking about how do we make the ordering experience easier? How do we think about um, adding in new ordering opportunities? So like we know that if people can order the day of instead of needing to order a day before, that's a great use case to be able to solve for. So thinking about shorter lead times is one problem that they're solving on that side of things. Working on our search algorithm and thinking about how do you make sure the best caterers sort of pop up to the top of the search results. Uh, Another problem they're solving there. On the catering partner side of the house, we're thinking about things like how do you help a caterer sort of directly enter a catering order that they might have gotten via a phone call. So that's sort of one thing we're thinking about. Also doing some CRM kind of functionality, all sorts of permissions. So a bunch of different things happening on that space. On the customer service side, it's really a lot about how do we help ninjas take an incoming call or text or email and get all the information they need as quickly as possible about that order, about that customer, about that restaurant, so they can solve what whatever problem is coming up as quickly as possible. So how do you go about prioritizing what problems to focus on or what's the most important? Mm. So I think, as with many companies, we start with what are the business priorities? So what is it the business needs us to accomplish? And then translate that into sort of what is the work that we're going to do to make sure that we can drive those business results that we need? It's fascinating for me as someone who has been in different design organizations to see how 
business-centric in a great way. I think design and product and research are at Easy Cater. I think the great part of that is it really helps to make those teams feel like they understand how the work they're doing is connecting to moving the needle on what matters to the business. Mm. And so a big part of you know what we make sure we understand is what are the business priorities? Given what those priorities are, what should we be focusing on mm-hmm. in each of these areas? We also have something neat that we started doing maybe a little after the time I started, that was a concept that Briscoe had called board meetings. And so about once every four to six weeks, we have each one of the squads essentially have a board meeting with Briscoe, with myself, with our VP of engineering. And essentially what they're doing is saying, hey, let me talk a little bit about, you know, here's who we are, here's what our mission is, here are our KPIs, here's what we've recently done and learned as a result of that, here's what we're proposing to do next and how we think that will help ladder up to whatever metric we're trying to move. And then, you know, here are sort of risks or acceleration opportunities that we see. Here are open questions we have that we'd like to talk through because we're trying to make a decision. So I think that's been a really neat way to both give squads autonomy around what they do, but make sure they've got some good touch points that connect the work they're doing to the most important things the business needs. That's really interesting. Is that specific to the product teams? Yes. Yeah, or so or other, are other departments doing board meetings? So far, it's just within the product and engineering organization. It seems like with product and design, that might be especially important because key stakeholder updates and buy-in can be so important to success. Mm-hmm. I think that's certainly true. I think one of the things that's really interesting because EasyCater is a company that's growing quickly. I mentioned at the beginning that the design and research teams were half the size they are now when I started a little over a year ago. Similarly, the product team also has basically doubled in size. So as you're growing really quickly, it's hard to make sure that all the conversations that need to happen are happening. And so I think what the board meetings have done is they've given us a nice pause point to make sure that each one of the squads has an opportunity to check in and kind of reflect on what what we're doing and if we're still focused on the right things, but doing so in short enough timelines that we don't ever sort of go too far in any one direction before having a minute to pause and reflect and make sure it's still the thing that makes sense to do. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there are still a lot of organic conversations of like, you know, a PM pulling Briscoe aside and talking to him about something or sort of design and research, sitting with a PM and, you know, strategizing about what we can do. So I'd say there's a mix of some touch points that make sure uh, the right stakeholder conversations are happening and then a whole bunch of organic things too. But, you know, as we grow, it's interesting for me to think about some of the new approaches or practices we're thinking about. We don't want to slow down the organization. Easy Cater really values speed and scrappiness, but we want to make sure we're focused on the right things. So we're really starting to think about incorporating roadmaps in a way that we haven't done in the past. So we Th- can Have be, there been roadmaps ba- in the past? So maybe short-term roadmaps. Each squad or sort of team has done them a little bit differently. Things like, you know, some of the data and sales and marketing engineering can have longer-term roadmaps because it takes longer to do some of their work. Um, We've got another team that's working on an ordering experience called Club Soda, and, you know, they're only looking a couple weeks out. So there's definitely a range, and Mm. people have some plans and assumptions about what they're going to do next, but everyone's kind of had their own format. We haven't had a centralized way to look at that. And I think what I'm 
what I'm seeing and what there's a great opportunity to do now is to figure out a way for everybody to format their roadmaps in a similar way so we can look at them across a whole suite of products or sort of a whole tribe and actually have be a little bit more planful. But I think still it's like, well, let's look eight weeks out. You yeah. know, we're not a <laughs> three month, six month, 12 month sort of long view road mapping kind of company. Iterate on the roadmap process. Yes. You know, so we've been testing out um, some software that I used at my last company and it's been fun actually just watching the product managers think about how would they break down the work and organize it and what are we learning even just as we think about how we sort of organize and talk about our work. Yeah, I was going to ask if you're able to talk about some of the solutions you're thinking about using as you think Mm -hmm. about both actually, I'd be curious, like what you were using in the past working very quickly, and then what you're considering as you look to maybe implement more formalized roadmaps. Yeah, so what we started doing is playing around with a tool called Product Plan, which uh, my team had used at Patients Like Me in the past. And so it seemed like it was a quick and easy way to just get everybody started and try it out. There's a 30-day trial. Let's try it. Let's sort of kick the tires a little bit and see how that works. So that's kind of the approach we've taken. I think maybe two or three different PMs have taken a crack at just putting their work into that format and kind of comparing and contrasting and seeing how that works. It's interesting, one of the PMs kind of said, I feel like software for product management is so new. I want to check and make sure nothing new has come out because it's been sort of a year since we looked at that. Yeah, that's true. And so it's a little bit of like, all right, let's see if this solves our problem. If it does, great. If not, let's look around and see if there's something else that might. I think for me and for the team, it's very much a, you know, we want a custom fit solution. We want to make sure what we're doing works. But if there's some tool that's going to let us do something a lot more quickly so we don't have to reinvent the wheel, let's sort of take advantage of that. And I think looking at something like product plan is a way to say, we don't need to reinvent how roadmaps happen. We just want a tool that will work for our needs and be pretty quick and easy for us to use and take advantage of and sort of experiment with. Mm-hmm. So that's how we're doing it. You know, We use Jira, we use Trello, a lot of the same things other organizations use too. It's just a little bit of sort of figuring out what fits the best with how we build product. And is your team actually creating prototypes as well? So it's interesting. I think, you know, we often talk about this the trade-off between quality and speed at EasyCater, which is a Oh thing yes, that you're many, not alone. <laughs> everybody talks about this. EasyCater really values speed. EasyCater really values driving business results, and quality can sometimes be seen as a dirty word because it can be seen as something that slows us down. And so, I actually spent a lot of time in my first year working with the design and research teams putting a framework in place to help us think about what level of quality is appropriate given the level of certainty we have about mm-hmm. whether a solution is right or not, and quality should match certainty. Or I imagine, what do we mean when we say quality? Yeah, exactly. And there are you know six or seven dimensions or more that you can come up with when you think about quality. It's a tricky topic. I think I've actually started talking to you know the designer I was talking to today, and I'll come back to prototyping in a minute, mm-hmm. but it's less about quality and it's more about we want to make sure we have a solution that solves the problem we're trying to solve and we can get there as quickly as possible. So quality in many ways is an indicator of like, have we really solved the problem effectively that we're trying to solve? And that problem might require like a really slick visual UI or not. That problem might involve sort of as little friction getting through a flow as possible. So I think we need to sort of flex and think about what's really important given this experience that we're developing or this flow we're trying to help somebody get through or this problem we're trying to solve. And instead of thinking about quality, think about how well are we getting to the right solution quickly. Um, So that's sort of one thing we've been talking about and thinking about. And I think actually prototypes can help us 
get everybody on board with what is it we're trying to do, what problem are we trying to solve at a high level faster. And I think sometimes we don't want to put the effort into that kind of prototyping or communication because we just want to run forward and make progress on getting done whatever it is we need to get done. And when there was a time when the people who designed also coded, you could get away with a lot less communication because they could tweak it as they went. But when you start to specialize a little bit more and have one person doing the coding and somebody else doing the designing and someone else doing the research, you have to be more thoughtful about making sure everybody understands what direction you're running in. So you make sure you don't have too many missteps. You don't have to kind of stop and, and retool and rebuild. So I think prototypes are something that we see actually being able to help us. There are kind of more thought out North Star designs that we can share with people up front. So we get a sense of what we're sort of building towards or moving towards a little bit more stepping back and making sure we understand the overall flow for what we're designing for. So an active, ongoing conversation. We had a creative director start, um, and I actually love the way he approached it. It really sort of stuck with me and got me thinking. And he's like, well, we're easy cater. Don't we want to be making things easier? And one of the things <laughs> Stefania often talks about is she's like, there was this great VC woman who I remember talking to, and she said, if you give people back their time, they'll love you forever. And I was like, yeah, like that plus easy. So maybe, you know, quality is something about making it easy because we're easy cater. So, you know, it's funny. I think we talk about it in a bunch of different ways. It's really trying to figure out what resonates with easy cater, with the way we think about sort of how we build product, how we work together, who we're solving for, mm-hmm. and then trying out some different tools. One of our cultural values, which I love, is try it and track it. So it's like, all right, well, let's try this thing. And if it helps, great. Um, you know, then we can incorporate that. But we'll never learn if we don't try it. Right. Yeah, no, that's a great way to think about it and kind of leaning on your values to assess whether it's right or how it could be right and, and also how to explain it internally, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, ISL Online. Meet the secure and reliable remote desktop software to support your customers or access unattended computers. It's affordable and it just works. It's ISL Online. Access a Windows, Linux, or Mac remote computer in less than three seconds and help your clients the moment they need you. ISL Online will fully customize the remote desktop app to match your brand. Set up permanent remote access by installing a remote access agent on any Windows or Mac computer. Use your iPhone, iPad, Android phone, or Android tablet to access any remote computer. Maximum security. ISL Online is fully compliant with the strict security standards industry expects. ISL Online users are IT professionals and help desk technicians from small and medium-sized businesses all the way to Fortune 500 companies. Companies like Konica Minolta, Canon, IDEX, Singtel, AT&T, Mitsubishi Chemical, and Avast all trust ISL Online for their remote desktop needs. There's no limit to the number of users, workstations, installations, or clients that you can support. So visit www.islonline.com slash giantrobots to learn more and sign up for their full feature free trial. As far as the team working on research and also proposing solutions, I'm curious, what does the breakdown of time actually look like as far as research compared to proposing solutions or uh, pitching solutions? Uh, Well, I'll give you the classic and frustrating answer of it depends. (laughs) Um, But one of the things that I'm most excited about about the research team at EasyCater is 
what fantastic strategic thought partners they are. You know, if you think about research, you know, you can go all the way from sort of foundational research to try to figure out what could we build and who could we build product for, you know, all the way down to sort of how usable is this solution and really usability testing and, and trying to make sure that the thing you have built is as useful and, you know, sort of functional as possible. So if you think about that whole range, I would say our team is less on the usability side and more on the sort of what should we build you know, vetting the concepts that we're actually designing to make sure they solve the problems that we're vetting. And so it's a little bit more of like, let's make sure we understand our customers. Let's make sure we understand the problems. Let's have really well-defined problems. And I find they're great facilitators around problem definition and around kind of matching the problem to the people we're designing for. But they're also super scrappy. So we were, you know, working on developing this catering platform. We recently acquired a company, MSI, that has an enterprise solution to this problem that we're trying to solve. And it was this realization of like, well, wait a minute, we don't need to solve the problem they solved. We bought them. We can let them keep solving (laughs) that problem. Sort of instead, what should we focus our time and energy on? Who's the audience we should be solving for? And do they have a design team too or a product team? They do. They're all out in Vancouver. And Mm -hmm. so sort of largely they're continuing to operate. Um, But they work in a very different code base, sort of very different product. So we're still er in the early stages of kind of getting to know each other and figuring out, yeah, how much do we integrate? Where do we integrate? What things do we integrate on? But I think from a design standpoint, it was interesting. You know, one of our product managers and one of my lead researchers kind of said, wait a minute, like we really need to pause and make sure we know who we are designing for since we're redefining it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So in two and a half weeks, they put together a fantastic, really scrappy, basically like ethnography, sort of digging into different customer types, understanding who they were, what they needed, got a whole bunch of different people involved. And that's turned into sort of the start of a great kind of customer segmentation and market sizing effort. So we have a lot more data and a lot more insight and a lot more focus on who we're building for, what problems they have, um, you know, kind of what that could lead to from a business results standpoint. And that came together lightning fast. So I think we do research, but it feels to me like we do research in a way that accelerates mm-hmm. the pace at which we work and really is just kind of a fantastic like connective tissue for the teams. So how many user interviews are going on on a week-to-week uh, basis? Wow. I'm not even sure I could tell you what that number is. And it definitely varies week to week. Not enough. You can never do enough in some ways. You know, there might be weeks where there are two or three a day. There might be weeks where there are none. I think what we end up trying to do is we don't have a practice right now of just interviewing people for the sake of always being talking to people. Um, We definitely try to connect it to what's a problem we need to solve, what's something we need more information about. How many people do we need to talk to to feel confident that we'll know what we need to know? But actually, one of the initiatives I started talking to a couple of my researchers about that I'm excited about is it was like, I feel like we still just need more exposure. We're not designing for ourselves. You know, we need more empathy building. We need to get out of the building more. So we've been starting to think about what are scrappy ways we could make sure that like twice a month, everybody on product engineering gets out of the building and spends some time with the people they're designing for kind of and is able to watch that. So I think there's absolutely room for us to do more. The thing we're trying to figure out now is like, how do we do it in a scrappy, easy cater way? Do you still get to meet with clients in your new role? 
Not as much as I would like to. And so I think one of the things I'm trying to figure out is where and when do I dip into these? I tend to go and sit in on as many as I can, especially when we're doing foundational research. That's the stuff that I want to make sure I have exposure to. So I have a chance to really listen to sort of somebody talk about how they work and what they do and what some of the challenges they are. So I at least have those voices in my head. But anytime I go out and get to talk to somebody about a problem we're solving, I can be a lot more effective. I just need to pick and choose sort of where I dip in. Yeah, I could imagine it could be harder with as you have more on your plate and you're, you know, Mm -hmm. doing those sort of organizational design things that you're working on now. How does a design team know when they've done enough interviews? So I think We just had a conversation recently talking about wanting to go out and do some customer-facing research, and I love the answer that one of my more junior researchers gave. She basically said, well, you need to at least talk to three people of each kind to see where patterns are starting to merge. And after three, you typically get some, you know, sort of common themes emerging. You can tell who's the outlier. You can tell what some of the patterns are. So I think that's one thing that we think about doing. Um, When it comes to concept validation, sometimes it's just how much time do we have? Like one is better than none if we have time to do three or four, we'll do three or four. If we feel like we didn't get what we needed to learn in those three or four, we'll maybe add some. So I think, you know, it sort of depends there too, but like some is better than none, probably three to five if we can pull it off is ideal. We don't typically try to do more than that though, I would say. And I think I heard you say you've been at EasyCater about a year. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And before that, it was health tech? Yep. I was at a company called Patients Like Me for almost 11 years, which I like to jokingly say is like 100 in internet years. 11, yeah. Nobody stays. And what did Patients Like Me do? Uh, So Patients Like Me had online communities for patients living with life-altering conditions. So MS, ALS, Parkinson's disease. And we tracked outcomes, symptoms, and treatments for those patients with the goal of basically trying to enable them to say, given the the condition I have, what's the best outcome I can hope to achieve? And how do I get there by looking at what all the other patients like me who've come before me have done? And what did you do there? So I was the design director there as well. So headed up design and research, but I started out as a UX designer there. I was going to say 11 years, I imagine you probably had a few different roles. Yeah, I had at least four different roles, I would say, over the time that I was there. Were you the original designer? No, Luke Rabolski was the original designer. I think it was maybe he had just started at Yahoo and had been doing consulting for patients like me. They actually spent their original round of seed money basically on Luke. um, And then he had to sort of peel off and do his thing. So I got hired to step in and fill his shoes, which were pretty enormous shoes to fill. But that was how I got started there. And were they a venture-funded startup? Yep. So interestingly, we went through a couple rounds of funding. The company did not go public. There was actually a big kerfuffle after I left. We got a huge investment by a Chinese firm. And then federal regulations came down saying, nope, no money from China coming in because we don't want them to access our patient Mm. health data in the U.S. So that deal ended up having to sort of stop, although they were pretty far along the path of actually um, sort of commingling the companies um, and also a third company out on the West Coast. So that was uh, a pretty tricky thing. It looks like now they've got somebody new who's going to come in um, and sort of help out and fund, not quite to the level of the Chinese, but to sort of keep the organization going. So, We're going to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, Indeed Prime. Are you on your way to work right now? On your way out? Are you dreading coming into the office? Stop living for the weekend and start doing what you love with Indeed Prime. They'll help you skip irrelevant engineering, product, design, and other tech roles and help you go further in your career. 
One free application on Indeed Prime puts tech candidates in front of thousands of companies like PayPal, Twilio, and WP Engine across more than 90 cities. It's that simple. They'll match you to the right role based on your needs. All their candidates also get one-on-one access to technical career coaching, resume reviews, mock interviews, and salary negotiation tips to seal the deal. So whether you're hiring or looking, meet your match on Indeed Prime. Join now at www.indeedprime.com slash thoughtbot. That's indeedprime.com slash thoughtbot. Over your time there, were there major inflection points in the product and your responsibility and mm-hmm. sort of anything that stands out to you as the, the milestones of that time during your career? Yeah. So when I started, I think, you know, we had just a handful of communities and they were very separate. So they were all kind of walled gardens that didn't commingle at all with one another. So if you were a member of the ALS community and you signed up, you only ever knew there was an ALS community. We hit a point where Jamie, who was the co-founder, felt very strongly that it was kind of a false experience because most people don't just have one health condition, especially if you have a chronic health condition, you probably have multiple ones. And we were missing some really important insight and data about people if we couldn't collect information about all the conditions they had. So we decided to what they called generalize the platform. So we basically took down the walls between all the communities and said, anybody can have any condition. We used to have like a caregiver function where you could say, I'm here because I have someone in my life who I'm taking care of who's not a patient. We said, no, no, everybody's a patient. No matter what, like we've all got something, post-nasal drip or allergies or something that we're dealing with. And so that was a huge inflection point and just getting patients used to like, wait a minute, all these people now who don't necessarily have my disease can see my information. So that was a big change from the patient experience and standpoint. That sounds difficult. It was. It was, it was hard. It was interesting. I, I think Jamie was really onto something that we were putting patients in too tight a set of constraints to recognize the life experiences that they were actually dealing with, the health challenges they had. But it was also like ripping off a Band-Aid pretty ferociously. Um, And so it was a tough transition for patients. So I think that was one big one. Another thing that was interesting is we were getting a lot of contracts from biotech companies and pharma companies. And a thing that I learned that has really stuck with me is In any instance where you're solving the needs of kind of different audiences, so what a patient needs does not completely overlap with what a business needs to grow and be successful, does not completely overlap with what a pharma company wants to know. And so you try to find the sweet spot where everybody's needs are getting met. But, you know, sometimes when you're getting money from clients, it's easy to sort of listen to what they want and stray a little further away from what creates a great experience for patients. We had that tension yeah. um, and actually stepped away from being a designer at a certain point there. I really wanted to get into people management and grow as oh, a leader. And so I had an opportunity to take a pretty different role. So I ended up moving and I think my title was patient experience manager. And I was heading up our community service team and customer support org. I had never done either one of those things before. And I sort of talked my way into it. And Ben and Jamie were like, all right, yeah, we'll give you a chance. Um, <laughs> And it was fascinating. I had to learn a whole different job. I had to manage people doing a job I'd never done before. I had to hire people for it. But what was great about it from a user experience standpoint, I remember talking to Josh Porter about it at some event and like getting really charged up about it, but saying, you spend all this time developing product for people 
and you listen to them, but you do it in the context of like, okay, how am I going to solve this? You know, or what's this UI I'm going to do? Or what's this sort of UX solution that I'm going to come up with? And is often very targeted. What I did in sort of being a community manager was really just to pause and listen to them. Just what were they talking about? What challenges did they have? What questions did they have for each other? What questions did they have for us? What things were they really struggling with? Where did we have to step in and where did we not? And it was in some ways really freeing to not worry about developing any solutions and just listen. And the things I learned were incredible. I think I have more respect for patients living with chronic illnesses than just about anyone because they managed to maintain a sense of hope and a sense of humor despite having some incredibly hard challenges to live through. And it just gave, gave me sort of a greater sense of empathy and understanding for the human condition in a way that was fantastic. And then we ended up bringing Kim Goodwin into the organization. She's an amazing product leader. And she was like, wait, you're really good at this. I got to pull you back into this space. And that was fabulous, too, because I think it created a great opportunity for me to learn a whole new set of skills under her. She's really where I learned, I think, to be much more of a, a design researcher. And so that was sort of another inflection point for me and a point at which patients like me was trying to really go back to making sure we had a very patient-centric experience and didn't sort of stray too far into the customer side of things. I imagine that patient experience role has helped you become a better product leader. I certainly hope so and would like to think so. Actually, one of the things that is most interesting from a leadership standpoint is I'm now leading a function that I haven't done again I've not been a product manager in the past. And what I learned in that role at Patients Like Me was how to figure out how to lead something you hadn't done by listening, by realizing that I had to really take them as the experts. I had to learn and spend a lot of time observing and watching and reading and asking questions and not assuming I knew the answer, but assuming I didn't know the answer yet. And I had to keep digging until I found something that felt right. And so in coming in and leading the product team and needing to think about how do we structure the org, what are the right roles and skills we need, I've gone back to that same work with the product team. And I've got three folks on the team who are all senior. I uh, was able to just promote them last week, but I've kind of made them Congrats, my, team. I know. So such a, we have such a great team at Easy Cater. So much pride for them. But, you know, really leaning on the three of them to help me learn some of the things I needed to learn really quickly in order to be able to do some of the work I needed to do around structuring the team. And so I think that lesson has really sort of carried through for me of you got to listen and you got to ask a lot of questions and you have to be humble and not assume you know the right answer. But, you know, thinking about what are the frameworks? What are the overarching sort of patterns that I'm seeing here? How can I take what I'm hearing and turn it into something actionable that's going to make sense? Um, so I think it's made me able to generalize what I do in a way that um, I'm not sure I would have been able to had I not had the opportunity to manage functions I hadn't done before. That's fascinating. Are there other areas of product leadership or, or traits you've seen to be important for folks to have to be successful product leaders? Mm. So one of the things that I went through as a transition myself, and I think is, is true for many leaders, I was a, you know, an IC for a long time. I prided myself on being really good at knowing how to solve difficult problems and being the person who figured out what the solution was. And as I got into management, 
realizing that it didn't matter if I could solve the problem or not. It mattered if the people who were working on the teams could solve the problem. And actually, if I came in and told them what to do, I messed things up and I got in their way. And so figuring out how to make that transition from being the person who solves the problems to helping people figure out how to be great problem solvers themselves, knowing that they might not do it exactly how you do, but you have to help them figure out what's the right outcome that they need to aim for. So figuring out how to be a good coach, how to be a good mentor, how to ask questions. And it's funny, as a designer and a researcher, that's what you do all the time. You'd think it's really natural, but it's interesting when you have to turn that back on yourself and start to think about, okay, I can't do the things the way that I used to do them. And I worked with this great executive coach as I was going through that transition. And I remember she asked me a question that, I have been thinking about ever since. And she said, you need to make a decision about whether or not you're going to get more joy and appreciation from solving a problem yourself or from enabling and empowering a group of other people to solve that problem. And I thought like, okay, so that's interesting. And she said, you know, what I have seen is if you figure out how to make that transition to helping other people solve problems, the impact you can have is exponential because you can only ever solve a handful of problems yourself. But if you empower a team of other people to solve problems effectively, you can have significantly more impact. And it took me a while to figure out how to do that and what that looked like and felt like and, and what things I had to change. But I realized maybe six months ago, looking back on sort of, you know, my team at PLM after I left them, my team here at Easy Cater, and I realized I get so much joy and so much satisfaction out of watching them crush hard problems and not telling them how to do it, but just realizing that I've helped them figure out how to do it themselves or made them a little bit better because maybe they already knew how to do it. So that opportunity to just like supercharge the people who work for me is such an incredible like charge for me. I get so much joy and so much satisfaction out of doing that. So I think that was sort of the really big transition for me as a leader is just recognizing how incredible it is to help people become their best selves. And stepping into the product role, I've had to really sort of lean into the product side of the team and lean away from the design and research team and I asked three of my folks in one-on-ones today, I was like, do you feel like there are any gaps or is there anything that's like falling through the cracks that's not happening since I've been leaning out? And they all said, no, I think everything is great. And I thought, wow, I could take that one of two ways. Either like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, they don't need me at all. Or <laughs> wow, I've really succeeded. And for me, I feel like the answer is, this is a huge success. If they don't need me, it means I gave them the tools they needed to do so much of that work on their own that now I can just give them the responsibility for it and know that they will thrive and do an incredible job themselves. And when I left my team at PLM, I had sort of a little leadership group and they went for six months before they hired a director to replace me. And that leadership group kept that team together. And so I think those things for me have been incredible to realize that I can just set them up to do the work that needs to be done. And sort of delegating is actually the most powerful gift I can give them. Wow. Was that an evolution for you? to do your time executing uh, and then reached a point where you were ready to take that step and, and empower people? Yeah, it was definitely, 
I, there's a designer on my team right now who really wanted to be a manager, and I watch her somewhat enviously because I realize she made that switch just immediately. Like there was no transition period for her. She was so hungry to be a manager and a leader of people, and she's crushing it. And it's wonderful to watch because she did it so quickly and so naturally and so easily. And it was not as easy for me. Um, I definitely failed and had some missteps. And you know, you can talk to some designers from my previous team who would say, "Oh my God, she would always just get too involved, and it drove me nuts. And she didn't give me, you know, autonomy to figure things out myself." I learned the hard way, I think, by messing that up, that that wasn't the right approach. The one thing I'll say is I know it sort of deep in the core of my being that that is not the way <laughs> to be a good manager or leader. So I learned those lessons really deeply. But, you know, it's also wonderful to see people who just naturally get it and just can sort of go right from the get-go. What attracted you to making the move to Easy Cater? Um, people. So things that patients like me from a leadership standpoint were changing. I had had four bosses in 12 months. Mm. I wasn't growing and um, sort of seeing opportunities for myself to continue to evolve. And a guy I used to work with who is a developer in the early days of patients like me said, hey, Easy Cater needs a design director. And he's somebody who I respected a ton, Would you know, had always sort of wanted the chance to work with again. Another person I had worked with who'd been sort of a PLM version 1.0 person back in the early days was also there. And I thought, all right, well, I have a ton of respect and admiration for them. If they're there, it must be a great place. So even if business catering sounds kind of funny, there's got to be something to it if both of them are there. And then I had an interview with Stefania. And that was life changing. Really? Absolutely. All right, let's get into it. Tell me everything. She asked hard questions. I should say Stefania being the co-founder and CEO. Yes. So I think as somebody who worked in organizations that were always run by white guys, Mm. just to have the opportunity to talk to a female CEO of a really successful company in and of itself, just I was so intrigued to talk to her. And I really had no idea what to expect. And what struck me about my conversation with her is she was, she asked really hard, really thoughtful questions. She was human. Like she was incredibly approachable. I didn't know her, but I felt like we had this immediate and amazing kind of connection. And I think she has that with everyone. Like she can just, she can talk to anyone and be incredibly relatable. But she just pushed me and I made, it made me realize that if I worked for her, she would make me better because she would demand that I be more thoughtful about what I did. You know, my boss, Briscoe, is incredible. I learn a ton from him. I, he's sort of my, like, how do I get an MBA while not having ever gotten an MBA? <laughs> but Stefania really pushes me to be better in a way that is unique and different. And I just recognized I would have that opportunity in working with her. And it's proven true. And she'll, you know, she'll ask me when we have one-on-ones, well, what can I do to help you? And it's, you can spend time with me helping me understand how you think and helping me sort of talk through challenges I have and reflect on sort of how you'd solve those things. And so she is amazing in that she gives time to the people who she sees as leaders with potential in her organization. I was going to ask whether you two actually work together, but it sounds like, yes, you're having one-on-ones. Uh-huh. And as much as it was sort of like, can I have time with you, please? I would really value this. And she was like, yeah, sure. And my favorite thing is our one-on-ones are usually scheduled for a half an hour and almost always they end up being an hour and a half. And I walk out of them feeling just energized and challenged. And she makes me think about things that I hadn't thought about before. I 
really pause and think about how to prepare. What's a good question to ask her? What's a good conversation to have? How can I engage her in a way that will help advance the stuff that I'm doing with the team? How, what can I learn from her that I need to know about? And it's like having this incredible leader to just sort of dip into, like, how have you solved this? What about this problem? You know, here's how I'm thinking about this. Does this make sense? She's the reason I'm in the role that I'm in now. I think she saw me solving organizational problems and kind of, as she put it, taking creative problems and putting kind of process and structure around them in a way that really moved the organization forward and something that she hadn't seen before. And I was like, wow, if Stefania sees something in me, like there must be something there. This is great. So yeah, it's been pretty magical working with her. So what's next for you and your team and Easy Cater? growing. I think just continuing to grow. Do you have any open roles? Do you want to pitch anything? Oh, yeah. Let's see. We have uh, <laughs> one senior PM role uh, with... In Boston, Massachusetts yes. or remote so, or... Uh, no, that's a great question, actually. So we're definitely focusing on hiring for the product team in Boston. We have two PM roles that are open at a couple different levels. We've got a group product manager opening, which is kind of a role that doesn't exist everywhere, but it's basically in between director and senior director. So somebody who's overseeing kind of multiple squads, pretty big scope. We're also looking for a director of our catering platform on the product side. So a bunch of different product roles that are open all in Boston, but we have a Denver office. And so we're starting to think about hiring product and engineering folks out there. We'll probably let the engineers go first and product and design will follow. Any hints you can give us about what you're working on in the, in the next uh, year or so from a, a product perspective? So I think continuing the same things that we've been working on, really trying to evolve our marketplace and make it sort of even more competitive and fantastic and uh, better than it already is, building out a great set of tools for caterers to run and manage their businesses on. We're sort of still pretty nascent in that space, so really pushing that forward so we've got a much more robust set of tools and then hopefully continuing to build out these internal tools that make our ninjas even more effective and efficient than they are are. Amazing. Well, Kate, thanks for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to, to learn all about what you're working on. Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation. If folks want to get in touch with you or follow along with Easy Cater, where's the best way to do that? So um, we're definitely all over the social medias. Um, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn if you want to connect directly. Otherwise, Easy Cater is on Instagram, Easy Cater is on LinkedIn. So definitely you can find us at easycater.com and all the social places sort of that follow off from there. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at Lindsay3D. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening. And thank you to today's sponsors, ISL Online and Indeed Prime. See you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.